The end of social science. That's one of the uh, that's the title of one of the videos that I watched this week, and it was it was surprising because Brian Epstein was the person talking about it. It was a TEDx talk, and they were saying the end of social science as we know it. And the point wasn't that social science is ending per se, but that social science itself is a bit of uh, pseudoscience, and people don't necessarily understand it as a science. And what I was thinking about was actually when you look at school, you look at education. Science, and the word science, the subject of science, is biology, chemistry, and physics, and then natural sciences. But psychology isn't really a subject at school, it was something at college or university, sixth form. It wasn't a, a science at school, primary school. And when you look at other things in social science, apart from the psychology, you've got communication, how that impacts certain things, emotional control, psychological control, pedagogy, how people learn, learning to learn, all of those other aspects of how you can create an environment to help someone else or just communicate with other people. And the, the soft skills, I don't like the term to use uh, Seth Godin's alternative, no, not Seth Godin, Simon Sinek's alternative human skills uh, just shows that social sciences is uh, a little bit misunderstood when you go through school because social science is, is not really a science. It's, it's not part of the science that you take at school because science is natural sciences. And when you look at what social science is, when you look into the academics, the papers behind it, there are questions that aren't answered very well for valid reasons a lot of the time, but some questions just aren't probed enough. So things like, how does it work? How does the mechanism behind this thing actually work? Now, when you look at psychology, mechanisms you can't really uh, test and, and factually check for absolute truth um, for mechanisms because it's the brain. We don't know enough about the brain and how to measure things in the brain. So we can't say, yes, that is true. No, that is not true. Yes, that is, this is the mechanism. No, that's not the mechanism. And a lot of the time they're models and theories because context matters in social science. And context does matter in natural science sciences like biology, physics and chemistry, but it's much more of an impact factor in social science because you could take one mechanism about something, so you could say this causes someone to get angry. You change the environment, well now that mechanism has to involve something that you can't necessarily control because it's your perception of an environment. But how do you control perception? Well, you can't because emotions, feelings, Social science is a thing. So when it comes to the end of social science, it's, it's not necessarily the end of the science in itself. It's just, is it really a true science? Because we can't get facts and, and, and actual truths in social science because there are so many contexts, so many multifaceted areas to what it is that we're researching. So then the question becomes, okay, if we can't work out what the mechanisms are, we need to then look at assumptions. And the, the what is it? questions like what is a an, ex, uh, an assumption what is a uh, what is consciousness in the mind what is a decision what is a good decision what is a bad decision and this comes back to one of the notes that i've had in my space for a while meanings are in people not in words and because meanings are in people and we perceive words, we perceive different situations, we perceive actions all differently, all with our own lens, our own view, our own prior experience, prior knowledge, thinking about Bayes' theorem. Um, we, we all have that prior experience that's going to impact our current decisions and then future actions. We, we, we can't really put a science on that. It's very, very, very hard to get an absolute truth from that, which is why 
the end of social science kind of uh, talks about the fact that there isn't really a beginning to it because when you look at what science is science supposedly is finding an answer to something from testing and that's what I'm going to talk about further in in this week's review because a lot of my research was what, what actually is science and the for those of you that are familiar with uh, my, my interests into YouTube Derek Muller so the the uh, creator of the Veritasium YouTube channel has spoken about lots of different things and his PhD research was actually in social science it's funny a physicist a natural scientist his his PhD work was in the social sciences and essentially what he was studying was the effects of multimedia misconceptions with so saying something wrong to improve learning now the idea the theory behind it is you create cognitive dissonance or you create a disagreement in someone's thinking and in someone's understanding a misconception or a myth you say oh this a means b but you thought a meant c and it, it creates a bit of oh intrigue and that that's not quite right and using those misconceptions as a as a bounce off point as a trigger point to help learning and through multimedia specifically with his phd research and misconceptions and myths getting us thinking and that is what social science is all about it's all about saying okay in this context if you put these people in this context they may act in a different way and if they do great we've got something else to study but the 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 physics the the biology the chemistry it's it it doesn't work like that most of the time i'm going to say most of the time once you once you know a mechanism you can it's just repeatable you do a b c and you get d e f whereas in social science you can put a b c in and get one two three out you know like, where do numbers come from <laughs> no idea and that's what social science is all about and misconceptions and myths are much more prevalent in social science because no one knows answers it's all context specific and the the reason that i'm bringing this up is because when you try and stand out so creating this actually comes from the art of coaching podcast talking to matt reynolds when you try and stand out in those sort of social science environments there needs to be something in there that is different and there are different ways that you can approach this one way that matt reynolds has done it is approach it uh matt reynolds for those who are unfamiliar is uh the guy in charge of barbell logic which is a, a strength training program team uh, online coaching team and what they do is they bring professional coaches i say professional as a, a meaningful term they are not individuals without qualification without understanding without experience uh, and without knowledge in the uh, the environment that they're coaching in but they bring professionals to what i would call the average individual so the general population they're not high performance athletes they're not they're not looking to get world records or be olympic athletes but then they're not the the average 15 year old that's going to a gym once every two weeks because they think they should go to the gym or the the gym goer that just wants to get big biceps they are people that want to build up physical health habits over a long period of time using professional coaches and that's what he's done to stand out he's brought professional coaches to the general population and he's standing out by bringing in this this level this this level of expectation in the context bringing in these these expertise this expertise from social science into the general population to stand out whereas some people in social sciences and i'm going to say social sciences and this may not come across as social science but sleep science sleep science is 
part of neuroscience, biological science, but it's still currently, when you look at it, most of it's social science because it's about environmental impact factors that impact the way that you sleep because there isn't currently a mechanism behind uh, a lot of the, the impact factors and the, the performance decreases and the, the, the health risks. There isn't a, a mechanism or many mechanisms to say this causes this, this does this. There are lots of environmental factors that play a role. Now, I wouldn't say it's strictly social science because it is a natural science, but there are elements of social science and natural science playing a part in this topic area, this research area of sleep. And the same could be said for learning, for education, for health habits, for habit habitual behaviours in life and just generally moving around. So the the way you can stand out in those situations can be one of two things. You can either say something that is a misconception, that is a myth, and you help people critically think about what it is that you're saying, or you try and make factual claims as if it is a natural science uh, and disregard or overlook and create a narrative that isn't necessarily entirely true. And that is where I think uh, the the issue for me is with some of the communicators, the science communicators out there, is they they exclude the nuances, they exclude some of the different narratives that are around an area, sleep being the example here, they exclude some of those, and now you have this false assumption, a lot of people have this false assumption, this myth around, oh, well, this is now a natural science. Mm, not entirely. It is, but not entirely. And there are contexts that matter here. One of the biggest things in sleep science is oh, sleep deprivation is bad for you. Yeah, but so is oversleeping and people don't talk about it. And sleep deprivation therapy is a thing. And if sleep deprivation was always bad, was always bad, sleep deprivation wouldn't be a thing. And this is where social impact factors play a big role. Social science, again, having an impact on the questionable natural sciences and even when you look at physics when you look at how people teach physics well that's social science how do you teach physics so social science and natural science both play a role in what we're doing now pseudoscience is slightly different pseudoscience uh, there, there is a, a talk a, a crash course talk uh, from hank green talking about pseudoscience and looking at Karl popper and the history of pseudoscience and what it is but basically pseudoscience is the, the way I understand it currently is because previously pseudoscience was social science. They were sort of synonymous and they're not the same. Pseudoscience is the way the practitioner goes about researching science. So if you're going into science, you have a you have a, a, th a theory, you have a question, you go and test that question, you have a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, uh, and you get a, a somewhat conclusion, you've gone through the scientific method to find a potential answer to the question. Now in social science, that's a, that's a continuous thing. And the same is in natural science, because you're always asking more questions, next questions, new questions, whereas so pseudoscience is much more, much more about finding a narrative that you want to create. So potentially using p-hacking or something that manipulates the numbers, manipulates the stats in your way to create a narrative. And once you've found that narrative, you don't then critically analyze the narrative. You don't critically analyze the stats, look at the methods, and really dive into what's actually going on behind the scenes. So 
accepting, okay, yep, social science, there are contextual impact factors, yep, natural science, there are sometimes facts that you can't just say, no, that doesn't exist. And pseudoscience, I think, is a way a practitioner could look at science, not a research field in itself. It's the actual practice of going into science, whether you use the scientific method, the scientific cycle, which I'm going to go through in a minute, or pseudoscience. I think they are the three different methods you can approach research in. I'm going to say research from this point onwards because science, I think, is a is a misused word slash term, so I'm going to say research instead. Um, now, when we are researching things, there's going to be new evidence. There is going to be new evidence, new pieces of uh, uh, information found out. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, this new piece of science says that all of this previous science is wrong. I'm going to believe that now. It, 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 we know it doesn't work like that. And this is where Bayes' theorem comes in. So Bayes' theorem, you could look at the, look at this like all over the place. But uh, three blue, one brown is uh, a, a video that I saw that I thought was one of the better videos. Veritasium has done one as well. And there are a couple of other creators as well. But the, the video basically explains the Bayes' theorem, which is... A load of letters and stuff, but basically says that your prior beliefs impact your current beliefs. Long story short, and the more prior beliefs you have, potentially could bias the probability. So if you're looking at a, uh, two groups of people, uh, one group is 10, one group is 100, and you say 1 out of 10, 1 out of 100, what's more likely? Well, the 1 out of 10. Uh, and you can manipulate the way someone looks at something by manipulating the numbers or manipulating the narrative around the numbers. You could say, well, one out of ten. That's really, really high. This is really, this is really likely to happen. But when you look at the overall population, maybe that's one out of ten of a one out of one thousand population. Well, one out of a thousand, but one out of that specific one hundred. So they pick those numbers to to say to to use. And again, it's it's a manipulation of a narrative. And when new evidence comes in, that's then going to shift that narrative only slightly, but shift the narrative. So instead of it being one in a hundred, one in ten, well, that narrative is now changed. The, the group sizing a little bit, so now it's 1 in 150 or 1 in 15, and it, the, the size starts to get bigger, so it's less likely, or more likely, one or the other, because prior beliefs can then shape future predictions, and that is what uh, a visual guide to Bayesian's theorem, this is a, a video from Julia Galoff was talking about, saying that using uh, prior beliefs to shape future predictions is how we should use research, use science, use possibilities, use theories, um, and look at what we found in the in the past, what we know from the past, and using those to predict future predictions. And I actually uh, I used an analogy in the recent podcast on uh, the Notion Nerds podcast, actually, and using Git as an example. Git is uh, for those that are unfamiliar, a coding uh, a coding saved memory, basically. <laughs> it's it's where all the saved changes go, and then you can push Git to different places, and it's it's a way of storing certain uh, changes. So imagine you've got a tree, you've got a seed. I'm going to use a tree analogy here. You've got a seed. Once you've uh, made a change, the seed starts to grow, and you've, you've got a, a trunk growing, and that the trunk grows as you add research, you add knowledge to it. But at some points, you're going to say, okay, this is a conclusion. I'm going to write a paper. I'm going to write an article. I'm going to do a video, write a podcast. Now you're branching off from that tree, and it's going to stay there, because all of that prior knowledge in that trunk is going to stay there, but the trunk is actually going to grow. The trunk's going to move forwards, but that branch isn't going to move up with the trunk. It's going to stay where it is. It it could bolster out, that branch could get bigger and grow and, and grow other stems from it, but it's only using prior knowledge. It's not updating itself with new knowledge because the the tree 
the tree is growing and as the tree grows more branches come off more branches come off as the tree goes on the branches are are a little bit thinner but they're actually more rich with information and the same thing happens when we go down and when we go all the way back you see a, a branch all the way at the top of the tree you should be able to go all the way back down the branch now if you are picking a branch off of a branch off of a branch you're now picking a very specific narrative and when you look back at that trunk it could the, the branch could go all the way down to the bottom of the trunk so you're actually missing out a lot of the base information the fundamental knowledge in an environment because you haven't updated the tree the trunk you haven't updated that trunk enough along that branch and this is where i think the tree analogy starts to lose itself a little bit because those branches we take off from the tree from the trunk need to link back to the trunk they need to divert back just like in git when you make a branch it needs to go back to the main branch so you can then keep going forwards so you would update yourself uh, so that you have all of those prior beliefs feeding into future predictions rather than staying on a somewhat a biased narrative and this is where fact checking is so important uh, and fact checking again this comes from crash course john green looking at factual information and this is something that bugs me sometimes about the science in uh, i said science didn't i uh, the research in youtube videos and some of the uh, quote quote scientists in those videos they are doctors uh, which is fine they are they are medical doctors they're medical professionals and they are scientists because they've looked into science but they they look at the branch they look at a branch of science rather than looking at the trunk. They don't look at the trunk of science because it's it's quicker and easier to look at some of the branches and some of the, the conclusions to the science rather than looking at the branch, uh, rather than looking at the trunk. And the, the, the base knowledge, and when, when, from what I've seen, when you look at natural scientists, you look at scientists that are used to seeing facts, figures, truths, and you bring in a social context to it and you bring in social science, it can be overlooked a little bit, and when social science is overlooked in those sort of environments, well, now you have narratives that are being formed that aren't necessarily true. And this isn't because they're, they're neglecting things, it could be because of the way that articles are published and papers are published with peer hacking, people basically testing everything under the sun until they find something significant, and if they do find something significant, which is likely to happen, they just go with that, oh look, we found a significant thing, we're going to publish that, uh, and it could, could say that chocolate helps you lose weight, because that's what they found <laughs> with a trend of people, but it could have had multiple impact factors with bias from... The, the researchers, the study, or they just cherry-picked the numbers and they just stopped testing at a certain level because, oh, look, we found a significant number. Let's just stop testing everyone else to get an actual, uh, an actual number and that sample size and manipulating the stats. But that's where, when you use those branched studies, those studies that come off of different places and they don't go back to the trunk and you're using just the branches, the leaves and things like that, you can create narratives and create dangerous narratives from the so-called research and science because you haven't fact-checked uh, all the way back. And fact-checking means, okay, why is this person talking about this? Who, is, who are they? What are their credentials? Where is the source? Are other people sourcing this? Are other people referencing this? How valid is the testing? How good is the source? And what do other people say? Do other people agree? Do other people disagree? And uh, yes, that is a lot of work. Fact-checking is a lot of work. But if you don't do the fact-checking on the research, you are at risk of saying something that isn't necessarily true. And there is always going to be another, another level of fact-checking. So you can never completely fact-check 
check yourself. But having uh, having a standard to have when it when you are sharing information, I think is where we all need to look. And that standard is going to be different for different people, and that is why there are different levels of uh, critique in things that people share. Those summarized projects, those branches off the tree, and. Some of those branches can be very, very thin when it comes to fact-checking, and they could be very low on that tree. And if they are, that is where us as consumers need to look at it and go, hmm, okay, I'm going to have a look at that. And that is what I do when I see things, and that is how I found out about the sleep science. Because when when you look at what Matthew Walker, when you when you... When you say Matthew Walker, you think, okay, he's a sleep scientist, so he's already biased towards sleep deprivation because that's that's what he does. That's where he gets uh, a lot of his research from. He's, he's looking at sleep deprivation, so he's he's very heavily engrossed in that, and it's very hard to be unbiased uh, when you when you're researching those things. He has a book suggesting sleep deprivation is bad. Is he going to actively find research that disproves his book? I don't think so, but he may he may be there, uh, but I doubt he's going to actively try and find research that goes against what he's previously said. Then when you look at what he's said, who who is he sourcing? Well, a lot of the time he's sourcing either his research group or research that supports his his narrative. I I haven't found much research of him sourcing people that disagree with him. So okay, and then what do other people say about it? Well, when you look at other people in that in that environment and that group, they they agree, but when you look at other people, actually there's a lot of people that disagree because of the social science aspects of what he's talking about. Um, And just to give a very specific example of this, when you look at hunger, obesity linked with sleep deprivation, well, yes, sleep deprivation can cause you to be hungry. Yeah, but being hungry and eating food are two different things, and there is social science involved in that transition. You have to make the decision, then you actually have to do it. And that is social science. It's understanding the environment you're in, the decisions that you make, why you make those decisions, how you make the decisions, and then the mental fortitude, the motivation to either do something or not do something, i.e. in this case, don't eat too much food. That, that's, that's a mental thing, which is social science. It's not sleep deprivation causes obesity, because it doesn't. It causes potential impact factors that can increase the likelihood of obesity if your social factors, i.e. your psychology, your motivation, the, the drives, etc., etc., aren't aren't good enough, basically, um, to, to hold that. And that is where social science and natural science come together. And that is where it needs to be a full narrative, a full research dive, not just one slightly biased one way or the other. Or you could have a narrative one side and then another narrative another side, but there needs to be the other narrative. Otherwise, it's going to be a little bit biased. Um, and this is where hearing the same thing over and over again makes us feel like it's more believed. Now, this is the illusion of truth. Veritasium spoke about this, um, but it's also been spoken about in research. But referencing research that say this is quite challenging from what I found because you'd have to, like, if you want to go and research these things through um, through through the links that I put in, it's, it's very hard to link a paper. Well, it's not hard to link a paper. It's hard to link a paper that gives you, uh, gives you what, what I'm talking about because you'd have to, like, go halfway through the paper and find the, the page, the page, the paragraphs and the words. So I've just found a video instead of Veritasium has spoken about the illusion of truth. Um, and what it, what, what this phenomena basically is, is the more you hear something, the more likely you are to believe it's true. And sleep deprivation is heard so much. And it's it's the same with so many different things that 
If you hear it enough, you're going to believe that it's true. But it could just be the same source being repeated over and over and over again. And when you listen, uh, listen to the, the COVID stuff recently, um, and this is where I think some of the, the, the false the false news happens because you hear this false news two or three times and then it gets repeated again because news outlets get hold of it and then it's repeated again. So this this one person that's made this this assumption has said it, someone else has asked about it, someone else has asked about it, that's three, and then someone else goes, oh yeah, this is actually a thing, because they just believe what they heard, because three people heard it, well, now it's been heard four times, uh, and then you have a social news outlet talks about it, and then another news outlet talks about it. Soon you have 30, 40 uh, different instances of this thing, and obviously Chinese whispered, and these things get spread, and because you've heard about it so much, you suddenly start to think, oh, maybe this is true, because loads of people are talking about it. Like the toilet roll thing. <laughs> buying toilet roll um and because you heard because you've heard it so much you believe it's true and no one or very few people go to fact check it because oh i've heard it loads of times it it just must be true it's not (laughs) a lot of the time so it's it's trying to be skeptical enough uh with the information that we've seen but not to but not to the point where you become cynical uh and this is where the scientific science come in. The science, scientific cycle comes in. I, I, the, this TED talk was uh, intriguing with its name. It said the scientific method is crap. <laughs> That's basically what it said. Uh, and it's from uh, Tim and Cook. Tim and Cook. I'm not sure how you say the name. Uh, but he was basically suggesting, like I mentioned earlier, that the scientific method has a conclusion and that that's a load of rubbish because it doesn't. And I completely agree. Scientific method, typically, when you look at science, ends with a conclusion, ends with a summary. But, as most of us know that read the papers, most of the time it says, future research should look like this. In future research, we need to do this, or we can't come to this conclusion because we need more research into this, into that, etc. So, the scientific cycle suggests that after a conclusion, you then analyse the conclusion, find another discovery point, and then carry on. So... The the scientific method, the way that you practice, not the pseudoscience, but the actual scientific practice is to find questions, find answers to questions, which give you more questions, which find more answers to questions, and you continue through that cycle. Now, the difference between researchers and um, so that I, I think there are there are scientific researchers and there are researchers because researchers will look at research that's been done, and then they will try and grab a narrative, a conclusion, a summary, an understanding of what the research says. Whereas, scientific researchers are actually doing the research. They're, they're doing the research themselves. They're putting people in the, in the test environments. They're doing the tests. Now, doing the tests and researching are different things. I'm not sure what the right terms for those are, scientific researcher and researcher, because I would class myself as a researcher, but I'm not a I'm not someone that's actively doing research, so I'm not a scientist. Maybe that's what a scientist is. Um, find it, finding the meanings of these words is difficult, because lots of people substitute words in, but what is basically, the, the people that are doing the research, actually doing the studies, we need them, obviously, because we need we need them to do the research. But because they're doing the studies, a lot of the time, they can't keep up with research because there's, there's way more research than anyone can keep up with. That's why there are teams and groups of people that try and understand what research is going on. So the scientific cycle is to try and answer and get answers to those questions as, as quickly and as easily as possible so that we can then find another question. I, I see it as kind of like a rabbit hole. You've got a massive field and you sort of dig a hole. Yep, that's cool. Let's go find another one. Yep, that's cool. Let's find another one. And when you found a question worth diving into, 
to, you dig a little bit deeper, and you dig a little bit deeper, and then you come back out the hole and, and dive down again. Uh, hopefully you, you've stuck with that analogy, but that's how I see the scientific cycle as a as a field, because you have a field of knowledge, and you have a base field of knowledge, but as you start digging holes, the field gets lower, and when you've dug enough holes, the whole ground dips down, because there's no ground left at the top. Uh, and yes you could you could expand this narrative out and just have a massive crater that's basically what experts do they they dig a massive crater of of questions and answers and right at that bottom of the crater is that really important question like einstein's work was a massive crater he asked tons of questions digging holes all over the place and then connecting the holes up and then getting rid of all the the connected dirt so that it was just a bigger hole and then a bigger hole and that's where a lot of his work came from that's the analogy that i have but it's a cycle because you're constantly digging holes and 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 asking questions finding answers to questions and then connecting those answers and those questions to other things that you found but but, 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 manipulating statistics, p-hacking, I've briefly spoken about it, uh, and this is another crash course, <laughs> another crash course video on p-hacking, and Veritasium did a video on p-hacking, and there is another really heavy stats video on p-hacking, which I didn't want to link because my brain, uh, my brain just lost it with that one, uh, but essentially, p-hacking is, like I mentioned earlier, you have the 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 whatever it is the 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 test that you're doing but you're doing so many tests that you're likely to find something and you could fail to reject the null and the null actually being true you could fail reject the null when the null actually being false you could reject the null where the null is true and you could reject the null where the null is false so you have two true results two false results and what p hacking does is basically bias uh bias the significant truths so you're trying to find a truth in all of the testing that is going on. And because you're trying to find a truth, you're going to find one that might not necessarily be true. It could be a false positive or a negative uh, or a positive. Yeah, wait, a false positive or a positive false. Yeah, or, or the opposite. Uh, basically, you find something that's significant that isn't necessarily significant uh, when you expand the sample size or when you actually do testing, specifically looking for that result. But p-hacking is used, and they are reducing the amount of eh, arguably false scientific studies out there, but it's still something that is going to happen. You're not going to get away from it. And what I do want to say is when you do see a study on something and you're worried or concerned or confused by it, just question it. Just just go through and actually critically question what it is that it's it's saying, rather than just trying to accept it and, and move on from that. And that's what I try and do anyway. Try and get at least, this is me, I try and get three studies that support it, and at least two that disagree with it. So I, I have like a five, um, for those that are, are interested in my research, sort of like uh, pathway, my research toolkit, research rabbit, I use for my research. And a lot of the time, the, the collections will be seven, eight papers. There will be four four or five that sort of agree with themselves and two or three that just disagree with what's going on in that topic. So I can, I can get a better understanding of the area just by reading the abstracts rather than having to do a real deep dive. Uh, and this is... <laughs> This is where Tom Villio and Ramit Sethi, Sethi, I'm not sure how you say his name, their conversation on money actually comes in, which which I find quite 
I found this link interesting. So they were talking about money and they were talking about uh, savings and bonds and, and managing your money over a long period of time and, and where you should invest things. And the guidelines is the long game wins over the short profits, basically. And was saying that doing those those short dives into dividends, I don't really know much about money to be honest, um, but doing short dives into dividends and stocks and the rest of it to get to get a potential short gain is great. That on the on the long term, a lot of the time people that are doing that and trading are flat rates. They're they're not really increasing much. They're not really going anywhere uh, because of. Uh, uh, because of the way that the stock market sort of works. And, and they were saying that the long, safe game is the better way to go about it. And when you look at science, that's what it is. Finding those short, significant differences in the, in the P-hacked studies or in the studies that are branches out are great. But at the end of the day, it's the tree. It's the trunk of the tree that we need to move forwards with. It's the long-term trunk of the tree, the fundamentals that we move forwards with. And that is the combination of social science and natural science together to create a narrative that we can work from and that we can use, especially in the world of health. Like, physics is discovering other things. Fine. Human performance and health, we cannot get away from social science because social science is how we behave, how we act, how we think about things. So it's not it's not like you can just go, oh, yeah, social science, is, yeah, it's, it's that thing. No. Everyone needs to accept that social science is part of uh, science, but, I mean, that's going to be the education system anyway. Yes, I am biased. I'm going to say I am completely biased because I am a social scientist. I am more of a social scientist than a natural scientist, so I am biased. Take that, take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt because I'm probably overemphasizing the social science aspect because... I'm biased. I'm just going to say that again. I am biased because <laughs> uh, I know some some people will say, "Oh, you're you're, but you've done a degree in sports coaching and that's social science." Yes, it is, but it's still important. Uh, so mo- moving through uh, moving through the, uh, the the money and linking linking the money. The the reason I'm I'm stumbling on this is because Seth Godin spoke about games and I. I don't like the term games uh, when it when it comes to life choices <laughs> because because it's not a game. There are, there are real life impacting factors. But he he talks about infinite and finite games and zero sum games. And when when you look at money, money is also a, a, a game in a sense. But games, infinite games, have no end. Infinite game would be uh, an example of an infinite game. Would be science. Would be research. But Finite games like social media, social sciences, have a have a, a a somewhat end. It's or I've put this tweet out, and I'm going to try and get the most likes. That's that's how you measure the game. Or I'm going to get the most retweets or the most response. Or I'm going to get this amount of sales from it. You you can create a game out of making a tweet or making a comment or doing something. You can make a game out of science as well. Because oh, I'm going to get this many citations. I'm going to get this many publications. I'm going to write a book and be first on the the Amazon list or whatever it is. And and you can make games out of things and you can gamify things. And gamification is certainly something used in productivity and in the way that you can train and coach people. But as soon as you put game into something, I think people... I think this is a, a misconception about what a game is. To me, a game is something you do 
a pastime. It's something you do like chess. Chess is a great game. It's great fun. There are rules. You stick to the rules. And then you, you play the game by the rules. And you, you get a winner or a loser. And I think game. The word game has assumptions to it. That I, I didn't quite like when he summarized. Infinite games. Finite games. Zero sum games. Where you don't get anything from it. Because it means that there's a winner and a loser. Whereas a lot of the time. It, especially in science and research. We are all losers. <laughs> because if the science is wrong. We all lose. If the science is right. We all win. It's not a. A win or lose type game. It's just we we all win, we all lose in most scenarios, especially when it comes to health or when it comes to performance or learning or science. Like if 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 science is wrong, if physics is wrong, if biology is wrong, and something happens and we all die, yeah, we've all lost. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit of a gripe with the term game. But at the end of the day, the long term game, the infinite game, uh, the long term wins uh, are what we should be striving for and that's where research needs to look beyond just the one study that said this or the one article that said that or the, the one book because when you reference the same book over and over and over again you're not actually moving forwards with anything you're just repeating the past and we know when you look at history if you repeat the past a lot of the time the same mistakes are made so how do we move away from that well it's getting away from <laughs> old old history and fatigue is something I've been looking into recently and I certainly think cognitive fatigue fatigue and load mental fatigue just fatigue of information in general plays a role in this uh, I'm not going to speak too much on fatigue because there's a lot of science that I still don't fully understand so I don't want to talk about something I don't understand but when you look at fatigue and the amount of decisions we have to make oh yeah that'll do yeah, that'll do. And when you say that'll do in research or that'll do in an understanding of a point, you need to accept that mm, maybe there is things that you're misunderstanding or there's a narrative that isn't quite true. And when that is the case, I try and reflect on that and go, okay, I need to ask myself those questions. And that is what my exploration page is all about because I need to ask myself some of those questions and go deeper into research. But that is what I found out this week. That is some of the research that I've looked at this week. Some of the questions that I've been looking into, like what is science? Is it research? Is there a difference? Uh, and I'd be, I'd be curious to, to hear your thoughts. What do you think science is? Is science researching? Is science just natural science is science social science or do you completely disagree and think social and then think pseudoscience is a thing well pseudoscience is a thing but are you a pseudoscientist or are you a researcher or are you a scientist they're the three there are the three, the three professions i have in my head what are your thoughts